Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 11 of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. We're officially into the second half of the season. I'm Ryan Wolt, bringing you the stories of coffee professionals, entrepreneurship, and coffee education. This week, I'm sharing my conversation with Andrew Scott, the founder and head roaster of Inflection Point Coffee in the Mira Mesa neighborhood of San Diego. Andrew is a true garagepreneur, and occasionally during this show, you'll even hear his washing machine doing work in the background. Years ago, I hosted an entrepreneurial blog that featured garage-based businesses, and this conversation filled me with a bit of nostalgia. Not just for that time in my life, but for the stories that I heard and the inspiration that I gleaned, and also for a time when I actually had a garage of my own. What I do have now is a closet podcasting studio. It is where I am recording this intro and drinking a cup of coffee. I hope that wherever you are, you've got a cup of coffee too, and you're ready to get inspired by the entrepreneurial journey of Andrew Scott of Inflection Point Coffee on the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. Listen to a couple of the uh, the podcasts you got on your site there, so I've got yeah, good feeling of the flow. I'm, I'm excited for this. This is good. I hope you listen to a couple of the good ones. I should send some links from now on. Uh, but I would say, Andrew, uh, welcome to uh, the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. Thank you for spending some time with me. If you wouldn't mind, though, just let everyone know your name, uh, what the name of your company is, and your role there, and. Um, uh, maybe like your favorite uh, childhood board game. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I'm Andrew Scott. I am the owner and head roaster of Inflection Point Coffee. Uh, that L in inflection is critically important, especially nowadays. <laughs> um, <laughs> the childhood board game. I, I was always a trivia nerd, man. I, I love the trivia pursuit. That was, that was my go-to. Uh, I, I liked just being that, that nerdy kid with lots of useless facts. I love that. I was a nerdy fact kid as well. Uh, the problem is nobody ever wanted to hear them. So that was always, always uh, my problem. I'm going to get into a, a couple of questions kind of about your backstory and first, but I want to just point out right now that you are sitting in your garage, uh, yes. which is also where you run your company. I can see you on the video feed here. Uh, our listeners can't, but, but I can. How does it feel to be one of those garage entrepreneurs, you know, like Steve Jobs or uh, Zuckerberg or somebody who eventually, I'm assuming that's your trajectory? Well, you know, less evil, but yes, uh, eventually. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so part of it was necessity, you know, being in, in Southern California, uh, commercial industrial space to, to do this outside of the home is very expensive, would have added a ton to my overhead. And so part of it was just, I, I needed to save costs and we had the space in the garage and, and it worked out. There's also the convenience of it where I, I wake up, when I wake up, I, I roll out of bed, head in the garage, get the roaster preheating, I get the dogs going. So just that convenience of being home and, and uh, having that freedom to roast when I want any hour of the day, it's, it's pretty nice, it's pretty nice. Uh, and then it's it's been really nice at the uh, farmers markets. It's incredible how many people think it's such a cool thing that, you know, I'm, I'm just this this small roaster just getting started still in the garage. You see like the biggest grins and so many. Oh, that's so cool. That's awesome. You're doing that. 
So I, I think a lot of people appreciate this idea of, you know, taking this chance. And yeah, that, that mythos, that, that legend of that American company started in the garage and built up to something uh, exceptional. I don't need to be Starbucks, but, you know, I'd be happy being Dark Horse or, you know, one of those guys. That'd be cool. I actually think that is a very kind of Southern California thing, the working in the garage, in part because you can do it year round, uh, which you can't do, say, even in Arizona, where it's going to get too hot in the summers or in the Midwest, where it'll get too cold. When I walk around my neighborhood, I'm always amazed at how many people are like working on a computer or watching a TV and the, like, the garage is an extension of the home because that is something we give up by living here is, is space. You know, the, the cost right. per square foot for rent or mortgage is just so much greater that we maximize every inch of space. I mean, it's why I do this show in my closet, right? It's why I built this, this studio in the closet and just got rid of a bunch of clothes. Uh, we, we moved here from Chicago uh, about seven years ago. Uh, I started roasting some there and yeah, you know, as much as I could, you know, you get in the garage just for that smoke, you know, you didn't want the smoke in the house, but man, those winter months, you know, I, I would basically go in the, the basement, uh, find some place where it's just a little bit warmer. It's a little bit easier to deal with, but like this, this whole system, the structure I have using the solar power and the electric roaster that could not have worked you know, in a place like Chicago or in Boston, where I got my start, the energy wouldn't be there. The sun isn't there. The fact that, yeah, I can do this year round. It's not an option everywhere, for sure. I knew I felt a connection. I had my very first cup of coffee in Chicago at a place called Star Lounge, and they were serving dark matter coffee roasters, which was a great local Chicago roaster if you're in that area. Well, let's back up a little bit before we get into the solar and kind of all, all of the set. Uh, what about you? I mean, was there a first kind of coffee experience that made you think I want to look into this further or I, or I enjoy this or that you remember something that sets you down this path that you're on now? Oh, man, my my world of coffee goes back like 25 years. When I was in college, I was on this committee that got a, a coffee house started on my, my college campus uh, at Tufts University in, in Boston. It was called the Brown and Brew. So I was on the planning committee, you know, we got all of the furniture, we decided on the vendors, we did all of that. And then I was one of the student managers for the, the last two years, you know, that I was there. And it was, you know, late 90s, very central perk, you know, friends kind of vibe with the comfortable couches, that bohemian, you know, light music playing, the, the funky lighting systems, that kind of stuff. But it was, it was more like that community, like even immediately after we got started, you could see the people that like, that was that missing piece of their college experience was having that space that they could own essentially as their own. I was a sociology major in undergrad. And so on some level, looking at those group dynamics and how people kind of group and, and the things that they do together and, and how those experiences evolve, that was interesting to me. So being in that coffee house, having my own little laboratory where I could kind of uh, see all of this happening that was excellent for me. That that was that was where I spent so much of, of my college time. Absolutely loved that experience. And so when I graduated, I, I looked at coffee first. So my first job out of college, I was assistant manager of a Starbucks in downtown Boston. Yeah, that that in college I didn't drink coffee. Uh, strangely enough, you know, some kids they go to college and they they dabble with, oh, I'll be vegetarian or maybe even go like vegan and explore some other religious beliefs. I gave up caffeine and carbonated beverages. Odd. Uh, and then once I got to, to Starbucks through their management training program, they insisted you, you have to drink their coffee. 
in order to get through that program. And so that was really where I, I got my first taste of coffee, even though my first experience with coffee and the coffee shop kind of vibe and, and that sort of thing was, was in college. So those, those years from like 19 to 22, 23, that was a pretty coffee intensive time, both on like the, the small independent college coffee shop kind of feel. And then on the larger corporate managerial side of things as well. And then it was, you know, I, I took a break. I did some other things. Um, I was a tax attorney for a while. I was a middle school teacher for a while. I dabbled in a few other things, but I was always the coffee guy. Everywhere I worked, every office I was in, every classroom I had, I was the coffee guy. And, and so, yeah, it was, it was always in the background. And about 10 years ago, I, I finally got into the, the roasting side of things. And that just completely opened my eyes to what coffee really could be. That's uh, really interesting that you were always that guy. It, it hurt me a little bit when you said, I had to do the math in my head when you said the late 90s or 25 years ago. <laughs> I really had to think about that. And then... Yep. Central uh, for for our younger audience, Central Perk was the coffee shop in Friends, which I think the younger generation has started watching Friends now. So I don't know. I think I, I always grew up thinking that the Central Perk in Friends was what coffee shops were supposed to be like, right. and that's what New York would be like when I moved there. And when I did move there, I realized that I could not afford those same apartments that they had on that show. <laughs> that was the most disillusioning thing that I had ever seen on television. So you kind of gave us a little bit of this backstory. What tipped you over the edge six, seven years ago to make you think, I'm going to get back into this a little bit more seriously, start roasting, and then eventually you're going to start your own business inflection point. Yeah. Uh, so on the roasting side of it, my wife was actually on a, a business trip and one of her coworkers was talking about uh, doing some home roasting. She just decided or, or thought that sounds like something that I would get into. I started gardening when we got into our first house because I wanted to grow chili peppers to make my own chili powder. Like that's, that's been my relationship with food. And so when she heard this guy talking about roasting his own coffee, she, she figured it was something that would resonate with me. And so that was a Valentine's day present. We said almost, yeah, nine and a half years ago, uh, it was my first be more, um, that 1600, you know, one pound roaster. And that first roast was, Again, it was just, it completely changed what I thought coffee could be, what I realized coffee could be. Uh, and as limited as that first little roaster was, it was still, it gave me a chance to taste a different side of coffee than I'd experienced before, you know, especially working with, with Starbucks and, and basically exclusively drinking some of those, those big, you know, heavy coffees of theirs. So yeah, that was my, my wife just had a hunch that I would enjoy it and, and I embraced it wholeheartedly. And then when we moved to San Diego, I was working for the Princeton Review, you know, that test prep and college admissions company. And so when I, I was managing our high school programs for San Diego County, and so whenever I would visit the high schools, I would bring samples of my coffee with me, you know, for the guidance counselors. I discovered that the, uh, the, the people who ran the front desk, you know, the, the gatekeepers, if you gave them a little bit of coffee too, a lot of times you can get your name to the top of the list, you know, you could get ahead of some of those other companies that would come in. And so people just, they, they responded positively anytime I brought my coffee and I started to get the feeling that they were enjoying my coffee more than my talking about test prep and college admissions <laughs> work. And, and so when COVID hit and, you know, everything shut down and pretty much every college in the country went test optional, I, I decided, well, let me see if, if I can take this, this serious hobby of mine 
that I've gotten some positive feedback and do something more with it. So you decide to start a coffee roasting company. From what it sounds like, you had some experience in college with kind of the the pre-business prep of setting up and the college campuses are a little bit different in how that works and being on that committee. How did you get started in thinking, man, I, I can run my own business. I'm not working for someone else. I can do this. There's so much more that goes into it than just putting beans in the roaster and then you know, passing them out, right? You, you've got a right. whole Absolutely. operation running. How did you decide or how did you kind of work through that phase early in the, in the, at the beginning of Inflection Point? And then how did you decide on the name and kind of the branding and, and what does that mean to you? So let's start with the name and the branding and, and that piece of it, because that's a fun little story. That one's easier. I, I originally had this idea. I was going to call it Great Scott Roasters, like GR8. And I was going to have eight different coffee varieties, and that was the the plan for it. And then I got my uh, my, my first, like, slightly bigger roaster here, the Alio Bullet, this little guy, you know, doing a, a kilogram at a time. And my brother-in-law is up in L.A. He does some acting. He does some comedy. Still has a regular job to pay the bills until it really takes off. But when I got this the, the bullet in, I thought I can go up there and maybe we can do an unboxing video, and that would be my launch, you know, on, on the social media and that kind of piece of it. So I walk into his house with this this box in the roaster or bo- roaster in the box rather, and he kind of looks at it and he's like, "Man, this is this is your inflection point." It was something I'd been talking about starting a, a roasting company for a few years. But buying that roaster, you know, investing in, in that piece of equipment, that was the first real step, that concrete step I'd taken toward that goal. And so that was that was how he kind of, yeah, he just, he threw that phrase out there. This is your inflection point. And it just, it resonated. It kind of burrowed into my brain. It was kind of lingering around in the background for a little bit. Uh, we never did make that unboxing video. But a, a couple of days later, I, I got home and I just sent him a text. And I wrote, look, I'm, I'm taking the name. I like it. it. It just, it resonated. It stuck. All of this was also in 2020. So at kind of the peak of the bad time of COVID and, and when things were looking really rough, we were having all of those, you know, racial justice protests, you know, all over the country. So things were looking a little bit dire. And so inflection point for me was also an attempt to, to try to be slightly optimistic that, you know, we had reached bottom. And now we were going to turn the corner and things were going to kind of start improving. So there was there was that piece of it as well. And then on my coffee bags, the label, I, I put a um, my logo on the labeling is a, a coffee graph, uh, the roast of a, a coffee, the graph of a coffee roast. Uh, and so you see that curve, the the turning point on the curve, which mathematically speaking is an inflection point. So you've got, you know, these couple of different pieces that all came together. And, and that was inflection point uh, coffee for me. So much better and, and less, you know, narcissistic than than the great Scott. Uh, I like it. Uh, and then what was the, the first part of that? Well, the first part of it was, is, is once you decide that you're doing the roasting, but once you decide that you're going to actually pursue this as a business, there, that's a whole nother type of challenge. How did you kind of work through those beginning phases of that to get to where you are now? And, and that's where, you know, part of my history helped. So I did the tax attorney work. Mostly what I was doing was corporate structuring and restructuring, succession planning to, to help those small and medium-sized businesses minimize their tax burden, maximize their asset protection. That was our, our pitch. So I, I had that in the background, right? I, I had that piece of it. I had that familiarity of reading through 
laws and regulations and licensing and all of those. Gosh, I mean, it's California is such an incredibly regulated state. It, it absolutely makes sense, especially when you're dealing with food production. But it is difficult to get through all of the, the language and to, to make sure that you're doing everything just the way it should be. My father was always a believer that it's you know easier to, to ask forgiveness than permission. I don't have his luck. So I knew if, <laughs> if I didn't do everything right to begin with, it was going to come crashing down on me. So I, I spent a good bit of time just making sure that I had everything lined up um, from financing to entity structure to all of the equipment. I was, I was good to go to make sure that I was doing this legally. Um, my wife also works uh, in like regulatory in that regulatory area. She works in biotech, uh, so she reads a lot of like the FDA requirements and regulations. And so we we just we had that uh, experience between the two of us of being able to navigate and and read through all of those requirements and understand it and make sense of it uh, to to get it up and running. I would take a moment just to say for anyone listening, if you ever want to just be physically confronted with the difficulties of regulation for opening a food business, uh, find your health department website and just download the PDF of codes that are required to open a cafe or a food service business and print it out and then weigh it uh, because it's not small. No. And, and honestly, for, for what I'm doing, it's very easy. You know, what I do you know, with the coffee roasting, it's non-hazardous. There's zero chance I'm going to get anybody sick, but you still have to comply just in case. And it's, I couldn't imagine at this point, you know, that's, that's part of in the, the background is that awareness that eventually I may need to look into opening a cafe and, and what that's going to entail. And I am, I'm, I'm looking forward to it and not, you know, at the same time, I, I know it's just going to be a massive headache. <laughs> well, as a micro roaster, you're working in relatively small batches uh, in your garage. Uh, so you kind of have that limit. I, I wonder, you mentioned it right away early on that you're electric based, you're solar based. Coffee is known to be fairly intensive at, in its impacts on our planet when you really dig down into it, especially just based on sheer quantity of coffee being drunk every day alone. Mm-hmm. Why was that important to you? Why did you decide to go that route with the solar based? And did you, was it, were you able to easily find solutions uh, as far as like having a roaster that was solar based? Or did you really have to MacGyver your, your garage into a, a situation that worked for you? So one, I mean, just being in California, you know, moving here from elsewhere, you're, you're just more aware of, you know, the energy issues you know, at play the push for solar here was, was just a much bigger idea than it was anywhere else, you know, that I'd lived previously. And so that was always kind of in the, the back of our mind. And then once we bought the house here, that was one of the very first projects was to get solar installed just to try to alleviate some of the, the electric bills, you know, just for our own personal use. We started off, you know, when I, I got the, the bullet, the first roaster, that's, you know, a standard 110 volt plug. It's, it's, you know, I can plug it into the wall and operate that. That was easy, minimal draw, no problem. That was pretty easy. Uh, this year I did expand. I, I bought a, a larger roaster. I've got a three kilogram electric roaster now. And that was just a whole, 
whole other thing. One, finding you know a larger roaster that was still electric. Uh, there are very few uh, companies that make electric roasters beyond the one kilogram size. And then the, the big company that I was aware of, Geeson or Geisen, their machine is beautiful. They, they have a great six kilogram roaster. I think they recently just launched a 10 kilogram electric roaster. But man, these roasters to, to get them shipped uh, from Europe here between the exchange rate and the freight, that six kilogram electric Geeson was going to run somewhere in that $35,000, $36,000 range, which is, that's a lot. That's, that's, that's a big, <laughs> big price tag on there. Yeah. Um, and so I, I knew I couldn't quite swing that one. We're trying to do this with minimal debt. You know, we are kind of running even, but I knew the one kilogram roaster, it just, it was way too small to keep up with the markets that I was getting into. So I needed something. So I was considering buying, you know, maybe one or two additional bullets and, and running them together. Maybe that could have worked, but I, I really wanted something that would allow me to run just a, a larger capacity. So, you know. China makes everything, you know, so Alibaba, um, it, it took some research. You, you've got to read through reviews. You, you really got to dig and then ultimately keep your fingers crossed and hope that you're getting what you're, you're paying for. But I found a couple companies there that do a three kilogram electric roaster, much more reasonably priced in that like six, $7,000 range. So, you know, uh, yeah, that, that was, that was an excellent purchase, but that bigger roaster meant that I now had a 220 volt you know, connection. And so, yes, we had to get the garage wired again. We've got a sub panel that we had to get installed. I've got a separate outlet for it here. It, it took some doing and, and again, you know, additional expenses, just more and more that you have to you know, plug into this thing. And I'm already thinking about what my next roaster is going to be, you know, uh, <laughs> If I'm going to be able to handle it in the garage, you know, if we do a, a much bigger remodel kind of plan for industrial growth here, or if I just have to take that next step and, and look for, you know, separate industrial space that is already wired for heavier machinery. But yeah, again, these are these things you don't think of ahead of time as you're getting into it. And certainly not as you're expanding. It's, it's there are all of these the expansion is great, but then there's the cost of the expansion and then the hope that eventually it's going to pay off. Well, it's it's not just that one first inflection point that you reached when you decided to start. It's a series of rolling inflection points throughout the entirety of your business uh, as yeah. you're moving forward. And there'll always be those kind of points uh, where, you're, where things are pivoting. You mentioned earlier that in some of the markets you were in, you are in uh, the, the, the very famous and well-known La Jolla I think it's, is it the Maker's Air market? Uh, you are in, I believe, the Mira Mesa uh, farmer's market. But how did you get started with spreading the word and letting people know you existed and they should buy your coffee instead of buying the stuff from the store or wherever, uh, or from one of the other many great roasters in the neighborhood? Yeah, no, so I, I absolutely caught a couple lucky breaks early on. Uh, when I first started, I was just setting up a couple tables at the end of my driveway and hoping to catch, you know, foot traffic or people driving down the street might catch the sign. And uh, I think there was some posts on like a neighborhood Facebook page. I might have shown up on Nextdoor, one of those. And so you, you try to find some of those neighborhood, you know, connecting sites or ways to, to reach your, your neighborhood first. And then, yeah, the first market I got into was the Mira Mesa market. And it is close enough. I could walk there. You know, if the cars broke down, I could throw my coffee in a 
you know, a, a wagon and, and walk my coffee there. It's that close. Uh, so there was, you know, that convenience. That was a, a quick in, super local, super close. And then it just so happened that the guys that managed that market, they had an opportunity at a slightly larger market for somebody to sell beans. And so they offered me that. And then, yeah, the La Jolla happened. And then Mission Valley happened. And now uh, we, we just started in the last month, the Lucadia market up in, in Encinitas. Uh, so we're there on Sundays as well. So no, I, I just, I got a couple of really lucky breaks getting into the, the local markets and then having those connections help me out and get into like slightly larger markets and, and spread from there. My social media, I'll be honest, is probably the weakest part of what I do. Um, my coffee, I, I stand behind my coffee 100%. It is excellent. But my social media game is weak. I, I will admit, I, I did not do any personal social media before I started this business. So I've basically been learning how to use Instagram and TikTok and all of them just in the last year and a half. So that's that's been a learning curve, you know, trying to figure out how to use that to spread, you know, the, the word and the message. And then I, I run into the issue where I, when, when I first started this, uh, that same brother-in-law that gave me the, the name of the company, he sent me a, a link, this roaster who was posting these videos of her doing basically like a gymnastics routine in a sports bra and yoga pants in front of her roaster. It's like, what the hell does that have to do with her coffee? You know, <laughs> that, that's but it's, it's that attention piece, right? It's, it's going to get the views. It's going to help spread the word. It's going to get eyes on the, the company in some way. Um, and, and then you hope, you know, you draw them, draw them in that way. I, I struggle with that piece of it, you know, how much to do to, to spread the word, spread the message. I'm content uh, and I'm fortunate to be in a position where I can be content with where I am now. But, you know, always looking forward yeah, I'd love to expand a little bit more. I'd like to get a little bit bigger, but I can take my time with it. I can I can let it grow kind of organically. I've got the time to allow word of mouth to really spread, uh, to let other people use their social media to get me out there. I, I don't need this to be immensely successful and profitable immediately, which has been probably the biggest, biggest help for me, you know, keeping the stress down. Time is a luxury for sure. Now that you've been roasting for multiple years, you've worked through kind of the beginning phases. Have you kind of settled into a strategy for your roasting or how you're treating your beans? What opportunities does working in small batches kind of offer you? Uh, obviously, there are challenges too in, in consistency and quantity, but you know, what do you see as the advantage of working in a small batch and, and how do you treat that part of the business? Because it sounds like to me, that's the part that really got you going in the first place. That's like where the passion is, is working with the coffee. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the really nice things about being at this size is, you know, if I get a bean like I really, really enjoy, I might buy two or three full bags of it. And so I get, you know, 250, 300 pounds of a, of a certain bean, and then that's it. Like once that's gone, I have to find something else that, you know, I, I enjoy that's good and, and hope that my customers will come along with me. And so being this size, it, it gives me that freedom to really still get out there and try different coffees and explore. And so I'm currently carrying a, a coffee from the Congo. I'd never had coffee from Congo before I decided to like, test one out and sample it and, and roast it this year. It's fantastic. 
Last year, I got this Vietnamese coffee that I, you know, it's a rare Arabica coffee to come out of Vietnam. It's incredible. I had no idea what to expect going into it. Uh, that one's become a regular uh, on my menu now. So one of the nice things about being this small is I still have the flexibility that I can still go out and find, you know, some fun exotic beans and play around with it. And, and usually my customer base is going to go along with me now that I've, you know, I've got a, a full year uh, in change at La Jolla. Uh, I'm pretty well established there. I've got some good customers, some good regulars that, you know, they, they look for my recommendations and that's pretty cool. So there's, there's definitely that flexibility, which is really nice. Uh, the downside is, you know, I spend a lot of time in my garage, which, you know, being in Southern California, it's not too bad. The weather's nice enough. It's, it's doable, but it, it takes a long time when I'm roasting four and a half, five pounds per batch. And I need to roast enough coffee for four markets that we're currently in. We get some online orders. Some people still stop by the house to pick up some coffee here. So just keeping up with, you know, hundred pounds a week, that's, that's a lot of roasting. So it's just, it's, it's a lot of time I'm spending in the garage. So yeah, the, the bigger roasters would be nice. They would free up some space and some time compared to what I was doing at the Alio though. It's, it's given me a ton of freedom. Well, that's actually a kind of a good kind of next question, which is being an entrepreneur, as opposed to your previous career, working for someone else or going to work every day. Uh, how has that impacted you as a person and kind of your mentality and just the rest of your life? Obviously your wife is still working out in the world. How is how has this transition uh, either worked out or challenged you or, or expanded kind of what you view as your working life? Uh, this has been the best. Uh, it's Yes, it's been difficult. It's been stressful, but it's, it's a different stress when it's for your own company than when you're stressed for somebody else's project or business, that sort of thing, right? It's, it's that stress of ownership. It's, it's okay. Like I, I know that I'm dealing with this and it's, it's mine and I'm going to grow it or not. And, and whatever it is, it's my stress and I get to own that. Um, and my actions alone that are going to like shift that, alleviate it. I only need to be as stressed as I want to be, quite frankly. So yeah, if, if I'm content where I am here with these four markets, this, I can, I can do this indefinitely and be perfectly happy. If I want to continue to grow it, yeah, it's it's going to add some stress. I'm, I'm going to, you know, spend some more time away from the dogs and love the dogs. But it's 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 my stress, if that makes sense. You know, the other piece of it, and, and I, I really don't talk about this too much, is when I was going through my teacher training program, I started to develop this thing called cluster headaches. So it's it's just this intense, intense pain. My neurologist here says, you know, that you get that, um, you know, how bad is your pain today? Like that sign. He says there are only four things they expect to be tens. You know, there's childbirth and passing a kidney stone and amputation without anesthesia. You know, so you chop off a thumb or something and then cluster headaches. It's just intensely, intensely painful. And so when they first started off, it was just at night and I could deal with that, you know, bit of bad pain. I could get back to sleep, get through my day. Once they started happening during the day, though, that really affects the way I was looking at the work I could do. Like the idea of me being in a classroom full of fifth or sixth graders, and all of a sudden I've got this debilitating headache that literally takes me to my knees and has me in tears crying. I didn't want to, to do that in front of this classroom of students. You know, that, that was a terrifying thought. So like a regular nine to five, that kind of job, just, it wasn't going to work for me 
for a number of reasons regardless. Finding this and then the freedom of this, the, the flexibility of roasting when I feel like I can and the handful of markets that I've got that are you know, four hours here, five hours there. I can do this and I know I'm, I'm, my head's going to be fine. I, I can deal with it and it's, it's not an issue there. So yeah, that, that freedom has been great, but this is only possible. And, and for me, you know, this, this idea of starting a business here, it only works here for me because my wife works in biotech and makes the kind of money that actually pays our bills. I could not survive just doing this, at least not at this level uh, in Southern California. There's, there's not enough you know, profit there. So having her, uh, having our relative level of comfort that we have, it's, it's the only thing that's made it possible for me to get this thing going to this point. Sure. And you can let me know if this is too personal of a question, but does that ever cause you any anxiety or stress knowing that she's taken on that part of the challenge? Or do you feel like this is part of the growth of what my business will be and I will get to a point where I am also doing this? And I only ask that because those are feelings that I have personally. Uh, I'm in a similar situation and I grew up at, at, at you know roughly the same time as you mm-hmm. uh, with this kind of ideal that like I'm supposed to make a certain amount of money and I'm supposed to do a certain amount of things. How do you manage that part of of the emotion of being an entrepreneur, because that is the risk you have to have. If you have a partner, they have to be on board because they are fully impacted by your choices as well. Absolutely. Now, again, so for us, it helped that I didn't have to tap into our savings or take any money that we'd saved. I sold my baseball card collection to fund this thing. I had like seven Mike Trout rookies, four Steph Curry's, a Tom Brady, uh, a Tim Duncan, uh, one LeBron and like a Justin Verlander, like these these incredible rookie cards that I got graded and sold in 2020. I made like 25, 30 grand, you know, selling those those handful of cards. So that that was really the the seed money to start this thing to fund it. So that took a lot of stress off. That you know I'm not kicking into our savings. I'm not eating or taking away from anything that we need to survive and to live. It's reached a point where the business itself is self sustaining. I've taken a little bit of money out of it this year, not a ton, but it, it, it can keep itself going. I, I've gotten big enough. So there, there's that point there. But like you said, I mean, the, the big thing is having that communication, having that, that talk with your, your partner, you know, whoever you're with and having that, that realistic understanding of this is what's, you know, what we're going to go through. Honestly, she's helping me out on Sundays. You know, she runs one of my Sunday markets for me. So she, she still does her full day, you know, her full week's work. And then she helps me out, you know, as well. I do a lot of the cooking. I take care of the dogs. I, I you know, do a lot of the house stuff. And so it's, it's finding that balance that works for you. We've found a good balance. She, you know, her degrees are in electrical and biomedical engineering. She's incredible. You know, she was always going to make even when I was doing tax law, like doing that kind of work, she was making more money than me. She's always made more money than me. It's fine. I'm perfectly okay with that. You know, it's, it's a different world than, you know, the, the Alabama I went to high school in, right? This kind of dynamic that we have would, would have gotten some stares you know, for a while, but it works for us. And, and that's the important thing. You know, we, we've had this conversation. We're comfortable with our life 
you know, with, with how we're living, you know, a couple adjustments, you know, I, and especially like my markets, my best markets are on the weekends, which means, you know, normally we would have those weekends to go do things and to spend time together. And those are gone now. So we, we have to find time during the week to make sure we eat together or we can do these other things that you just, you got to communicate, you got to talk it through. And if it gets to be too much, like she's already let me know, you know, her helping me out at the Lucadia market on Sundays, it's okay for a while. I'm going to have to find somebody you know, to take that over for. Her. <laughs> so I, I know, you know, there's only so much you can ask. And then it gets to be a, all right, we, we gotta, we gotta change some things. But I mean, the fact that I've slowly been taking over our entire garage, you know, I started off just in the front quarter of the garage and now I'd probably take over about three quarters of it. We, we've got the washer and dryer and, and that's it for personal use. You know, she, she comes in and has her mad organizational skills and gets everything set up for me. It's, it's a great partnership. She's so much better than I deserve. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, I'm also a little upset because my 1985 tops Dave Stewart cards weren't worth anything <laughs> when I tried to sell those. I think my brother ended up selling my whole collection for like 150 bucks for beer money once in college. So yeah. Uh, it was definitely very, uh, it was a tough transition for me. <laughs> what did I miss today? What should I have asked you that I didn't? And, you know, what should, what do you want people to know about inflection? I've enjoyed this talk. We, we, we've hit a lot of the big, good stuff. I, I think I've, I've done what I can to, to pitch this little company of mine, you know, what it is and what it's becoming. Yeah. I, I just, I hope people are open to, you know, trying some, some new stuff. It, it's, I love it when I can stop people at the markets, you know, as they're walking by with one of their branded cups, whatever the, the coffee company is, and just to have them try, you know, my sample or, or a cup of my coffee and to see that light that, oh, oh, like that. I love that. I love that. That's the best for me. But yeah, coffee is coffee's so incredible. It's, it's so vast. Like you said, uh, mentioned earlier in the the conversation here there within Mira Mesa where I live there are easily four or five you know coffee roasters right around here we all do different things you know I I go like a, a solid medium roast other roasters you know they tend to like you know a little bit lighter at the end of the day we're all doing this because we love this product you know this this beverage is delicious and it's you know the fuel of of parenthood and teacherhood and, and so many other things. It just kind of keeps the world running. Yeah. Give me a shot. That's it. It's track me down, try the coffee. And when you do, please, please, please try it black. I, I have, you know, creamer and sugar if you need it, but at least try it black before you start loading it up with all of the milk and sugar, please. <laughs> That's a great question then. Uh, well, let's close it out with what is it that you are going to try when you go and stop at some other roaster somewhere or some other coffee shop? What do you order for you? Oh, boy. Um, it, it partly depends on the, the time of day. In the mornings, I, I like my just a, a hot black coffee. So whether a pour over or a drip, you know, what they've got on, on tap there. I tend to the medium roasts. That's, that's my happy spot for coffee. In the afternoons, give me a shot of espresso uh, that I can just sip on. So give me that crema. Give me that good syrupy thick, dense body. That's, that's the good stuff there. And you can tell a lot, a lot by a coffee place, especially with just a straight shot of espresso without anything added to it, you know, pure, unadulterated. You can, you can get a good sense of the quality of their beans, 
how well their bar staff are trained, you know, the whole thing, you know, just one shot of espresso can tell you so much. So that's my go-to. Very cool. Andrew, I really just appreciate you coming on the show, taking some time out of your morning to spend with us. And and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to trying your coffee. I didn't know you were at the Lucadia Market, which I go to. Excellent. Uh, hopefully I'll run into you sometime soon. Yeah, excellent. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. Yeah, love it. Love it. Uh, today I'll, I'll be... Uh... Mir Mason, I'm just, as soon as we sign off here, I'm getting all of my containers, my bins, everything together to, to go do that Mira Mesa market this afternoon. Yeah, it, it's, the markets have been excellent. Uh, honestly, that was a, uh, it was a chance to, to, to remember how to talk to people after, you know, some of the COVID, you know, lockdowns and, and feeling like you're stuck inside and, and just with this one other person for so long, you know, being in the farmer's markets, I, I got practice, you know, having conversations again. It was, it was fun. Okay, to recap, being small gives Andrew the opportunity to explore different coffees with his roasting. For now, his business is flexible and nimble. He's stressed, but the stress is of his own creation. It's a stress that he claims ownership for, which makes it easier to manage. He also has the luxury of time to grow his business organically and without a huge social media presence for now. The space in the farmer's markets enables him to meet his customers face-to-face and send them home with some coffee. Their judgment, good or bad, will show up when they do, or don't, to his booth at the market again. According to Investopedia.com, an inflection point is an event that results in a significant change in the progress of a company. It is a turning point, after which a dramatic change, either positive or negative, is anticipated. As an entrepreneur building a company, sometimes the inflection point can be predicted, but often it is only seen in retrospect, when the full scope of success or failure can be seen. The same goes for a coffee roast. As you're following your roasting curve and the temperature inside the drum and the coffee bean are changing, you'll see the drastic turning point or inflection point in the curve itself as the bean temperature begins to heat up. The curve's trajectory is headed up. And hopefully, so is the future of Andrew and Inflection Point Coffee. I checked in with him recently to see if there was anything new going on, and his response was, quote, This year has really been about the growth from hobbyist home roaster to full-fledged business. It's been a fun and terrifying process. Ultimately, I'm just really excited for where things are headed, end quote. Finally, Andrew and his coffee can be found at farmer's markets in the San Diego area, specifically the Mira Mesa Market on Tuesdays, Mission Valley Market on Saturdays, and both La Jolla and Lucadia on Sundays. You can find more details online at inflectionpoint.coffee, which is also where you can order some beans for yourself. Just as Inflection Point is growing, so is Roast West Coast. Helping the show grow along with our awesome paid subscribers are the industry partners we're working with to grow the craft coffee community. They include Café La Terre, Moster Coffee Company, Camp Coffee Company, Steady State Coffee Roasting, Coffee Cycle Roasting, Ignite Coffee Company, Morea Coffee, Cape Horn Coffee Importers, Ascend Coffee Roasters, and First Light Coffee Whiskey. You can still get 15% off First Light Coffee Whiskeys using the discount code RWC on barbank.com. That's capital letters RWC, obviously for Roast West Coast, on barbank.com. Thank you all for listening and for supporting this show. This episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast is, was, has been written, produced, and recorded by me, Ryan Wolt. I hope this episode has found you happy, healthy, 
and with at least enough sanity to make it through the day. Always tip your baristas, and be sure to drink good coffee.